Should drag queens perform for children? Should we care about the gospel coalition controversy? And is the creator of the beloved cartoon Dilbert a racist? Let's find out. What's up guys, my name is Ben Pierce and this is Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction where I look at some of the biggest headlines throughout our world and I ask the question, what would Jesus think? and what would Jesus do? Now, just to be fair, this is raw, real, and unscripted. So if you want deeper, more long-form conversations that include not only myself, but the full host of Provoke and Inspire regulars, you can check out our whole entire Provoke and Inspire world, which includes interviews, deeper form conversations, and articles. You can do so by clicking on the link in the description. Also, I want to hear from you. Throughout the course of this video, I'm likely to say something you agree with, disagree with, maybe I'll make a mistake. I don't know, but either way, leave a comment, let me know, let this be a conversation. Let's go. Now, as bizarre as this sounds, something that is becoming increasingly common are drag performances for children. This is spreading throughout the country and the world, and yes, it is as shocking as it sounds. Now, in the latest iteration of this, a UK-based company called Kebaba Baba Rave describes their mission in this delightful way. We wanted to create the type of event we ourselves as mums would want to go to. There's only so many times you can listen to the effing wheels on the bus, which, I agree with that. We wanted to give our parents the experience of a big London night out. Cabaret, drinks, and dancing. This UK-based organization promotes drag events for children under the age of five. Now, footage of drag queens performing where children are present or reading stories at libraries where children are listening uh, is becoming more and more common, but this has taken it to a very another level. Multiple Twitter users posted the performances online, uh, and you can see these performers in front of toddlers and babies uh, performing sexually suggestive moves while wearing barely anything at all. Look, I agree that parents deserve nights out. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Nobody wants to listen to the wheels on the bus go round and round. That is maddening to say the least. But what's so weird about these events is that it's not like a leave your children at home and come have a wild night out on the town. These women, as the videos clearly show, are actually bringing their infants and their toddlers to these events. You know, that'd be the equivalent of me saying, well, look, I got this annual dude's paintball weekend and I got no one to babysit the kids. So look, I'll just strap him in a front pack We'll stay low so as not to be detected. I know it's a little reckless, but I just need a little me time. Now, obviously this is ridiculous and the internet agreed and the wave of criticism came in and now this company, if you can call it that, is being forced to shut down on some levels. They had a sold out event coming up here in March, which has been canceled. The two owners of the company are blaming online trolls and social media. And in a statement they write, we think a small breather for our mental health is the right thing to do we aren't a large company set up for these kinds of attacks. Just two moms trying to spread some joy and love. Yikes. All right, so what do I think? The fact that we're in a place where this is contentious and not just downright illegal is alarming to say the least. Look, I get that people hate the slippery slope argument, but the fact of the matter is things are getting worse. And we shouldn't be surprised when we say there is no truth. You know, when you can have your truth and I can have mine and we all have our own opinions, when we have eroded any sort of absolute morality, any sort of common idea of what is right or wrong, when the only real God today is how I feel and being able to freely express my feelings regardless of the opinions of others, this is where it's going. 
And so for some people, what they want, what they feel would make them happy is to perform in a sexually explicit way in front of children. And we've come to a point in society where we can't argue with them, when in fact they're a protected minority group that we have to empower and support and encourage regardless of their actual intentions and the devastating effects of their actions. My second thought is that we need to act in a drastic manner. Look, typically I'm not the kind of person who thinks you can legislate morality. I don't think that Jesus built a political movement. I don't think he built a legal movement. He built a revolution by transforming hearts, by being subversive, by not building a kingdom, but actually by flipping a kingdom on its head. And I think God continues to work in that way today. And so of course we need law and order and we need something to bind us together so we don't descend into utter chaos. But by and large, you don't change people's hearts by changing laws. Where this becomes a different subject for me is around the issue of consent. When we're talking about adults and the decisions they want to make for themselves and their lives, I don't think you're gonna change their hearts and minds through laws. But we're not talking about consenting adults here. We're talking about parents bringing children with no choice and exposing them to things that are going to affect them in an adverse way. That's when we do need to step in. That's when we do need to create laws. That's when we do need to protest and kick certain people out of office and vote other people in and petition and do whatever we need to do because we need to stand up for people who cannot stand up for themselves. Look, I'm not the person who likes to marry my faith with political activism. I, I don't think it reflects Jesus. And quite frankly, I don't think by and large it works. But in this case, something has to be done even at the political front. And so I think we have no choice but to get involved in that way. Thirdly, beyond politics, we have a role as just individual followers of Jesus in the way that we communicate with the world around us. Now, related to this issue, there was a pastor in Canada who was standing up to drag queen story hours being held at public libraries in Canada. And he staged a protest, uh, was treated very poorly, and was ultimately arrested. I respect the guy's courage on some level and the fact that he sees this situation as being so urgent that it requires him to act. But if you watch the video, and I'll include a link in the description of this podcast, you'll notice that he uses a lot of words like repent and evil and and other very religiously charged words. And again, while of course it is all of those things, but if our goal is actually to change people's hearts, is this an effective approach? Because from what I can tell, on the other side of this, when we see woke mobs coming into our universities and shouting down professors who are trying to give talks or in any other kind of context like that, our first reaction is, look at the language they use and the phrases that they're using. They're not there to listen or to reason or to dialogue. They're there to just shut down and disrupt and cause chaos. Of course, when we do that, we don't quite see it the same way. Why? Well, of course, because we think we're on the right side of the moral argument. But these people think they're on the right side of the moral argument. And so the question is, how can we actually make a difference? When I look at Jesus, I don't see him shouting slogans at people. I don't see him using overly religious language that really doesn't communicate effectively to a secular audience. What I see him doing to those who are far from God I see God being incredibly kind and merciful and compassionate. I think about the story of Zacchaeus, right? Here's a guy who is absolutely propagating and perpetuating a system of injustice. I mean, he was the kind of person who should be shouted down and shut down and canceled, right? An evil betrayer of his people. And everyone around Jesus would have loved nothing more than for Jesus to call him out and to criticize him and to cancel him. But that's not what Jesus does. Right? What does Jesus do? He says, hey, I'm coming to your house. And what kind of effect does this have on Zacchaeus? Well, it says that he was overwhelmed, that he was repentant. This kindness that Jesus showed 
radically changed his life. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 2.4. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Like James says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Like Paul says, we can speak eloquently and and in the tongues of angels, but if we do not have love, we're resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. I think we need to ask God for the wisdom to communicate to people in a way that what they're doing is destructive, but to do it with an attitude of kindness, tolerance, and mercy, because that will actually lead to change. All right, so the Gospel Coalition has found itself embroiled in a controversy for endorsing a book that the left and the right are a little squeamish about. So back in March, they took this book, Beautiful Union by Josh Butler, uh, and they they published an article, an excerpt, uh, and it drew widespread criticism because of Butler's use of sexual metaphors uh, for believers' relationship with God. It's filled with relatively graphic imagery, although I'd argue that a lot of these same people complaining just a few years back couldn't wait to tell their friends about the latest Game of Thrones episode. So nonetheless, the criticism came in. It came in from the right saying, "Eh, maybe this is a little graphic. It came in from the left that said that this just perpetuates a misogynistic view of God and and, and man and woman and how man dominates the woman. And, and even in the sexual act, it's an, it's an act of domination. It just perpetuates the image that, that women are submissive and inferior. So not shockingly, people took to Twitter to complain. You had people on both sides of the debate. Uh, you had Dr. Beth Allison Barr write on Twitter, I'm glad that at TGC listened and I hope they keep listening. On the other hand, you had Jacob Den Hollander write, they threw Butler under the bus to so far avoid dealing with the fact that multiple people on their editorial and marketing team saw absolutely nothing wrong with the article because that's how they also understand sex and gender roles. And so you've got criticism, you've got criticism of the criticism, and it's just a nerd Christian Twitter war extravaganza. There's got to be an acronym there somewhere. And so what did the Gospel Coalition do? Well, they yanked the article from their website and issued a heartfelt apology. I'll just read a little bit for you. Uh, the, the president of TGC, uh, Julius Kim, he wrote, thank you for your feedback on the Keller Center's book excerpt from Joshua Butler posted on March 1st, 2023. And thank you for your patience while we took the time to listen to our critics and a serious objections and concerns from fellows. Skipping to the end, at TGC, we want to provide a venue for healthy dialogue and robust debate on important matters that affect us all. We want to model grace-filled conversations, and we want to learn from one another. In this case, we failed and hurt many friends. Thank you in advance for your continued prayers. What do I think about this? Well, look, one thing I want to make absolutely clear is that I in no way support a misogynistic view of God. I think God created man and woman equally. I believe that he put his image in both of them, that there is a unique beauty and value in both of them. I don't believe they're the same. I don't believe they necessarily have the same roles, but I believe that God loves them, values them, and uses them equally and powerfully. I've experienced that in my own life, and I believe that's absolutely true. And anything that would support a view contrary to that, I believe is not only unbiblical, um, but is absolutely wrong, abhorrent, and shouldn't be supported. I didn't read the book. By and large, I just don't care. Is that wrong? Can I say that I don't care? Maybe I should care more, but I just feel like in the spectrum of all the things that matter in this world, all the work that we as followers of Jesus need to do, all the people that haven't heard the gospel, all the people that don't even have a Bible in their own language, all of the poverty, all of the injustice, all of the the problems in this world that we could get busy solving, 
we're doing this. We're engaged in our own little Christian Twitter microcosm where we're like, wah, 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 wah. we got our right and we got our left. We got our own little equivalent of the world. I don't know. Maybe I'm callous. Maybe I'm ill-informed, misinformed, uninformed, one of the other forms. Either way, I just think we got better things to do. This just isn't that important. That's my view. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. Either way, I'm done with this topic and I hope you are too. And finally, creator of the beloved cartoon Dilbert is a racist. That's it. I got nothing else. No, I got I got a few more things. Look, on February 22nd, an episode of Real Coffee with Scott Adams, he's the creator of Dilbert, he went on a tirade, a racist tirade, in response to the findings of the controversial Rasmussen poll. Now, I won't get into too much detail, but essentially the Rasmussen poll in this particular instance asked the question, is it okay to be white, with about half of the respondents saying yes, and about half saying they're either unsure or no. Um, And look, I'm not going to get into that. That's kind of weird. A lot of people think that it's like a trolling kind of conservative survey that's just trying to get a response that then can be reacted to, like, oh, I can't believe people would say that. And so it's kind of used actually as a way to gaslight people. Did I use gaslight correct? I don't even think I know what gaslight means. In any case, Scott Adams decided to go on a rant, uh, and he declared that black Americans are part of a hate group and urged white people to, quote, get that away from black people. Uh, Yeah, that's not good. Yikes. Um, That's pretty clear, and that's pretty racist. And in his case, I probably think he should get canceled. In the end of the day, it's kind of like football or small children. Someone can do something bad, but ultimately it's the person that retaliates that gets in the most trouble. So regardless of what spurred him on to say this, that sort of retaliation makes him unequivocally wrong. And look, in the end of the day, I think there's a lot wrong with cancel culture. There's a lot wrong with wokeism or whatever you want to call it. But something should be canceled. And this is clearly one of them. And lots of people are canceling him and his beloved cartoon, Dilbert. It's been yanked from hundreds of newspapers, and I'm sure this will cost him lots of money. And of course, his reputation is forever sullied. But just a few questions I want to think about before I wrap up this instant reaction. We live in a world that essentially has eroded the idea of absolute truth. It's the, it's the ultimate age of relativism and live and let live. And yet at the same time, we always seem to be morally outraged. How does this make any sense? Look, I'm not trying to rationalize at all what the guy said. I mean, I say lock him up and lose the key, but I'm just saying by what criteria are we outraged all the time? And it is a question worth asking. And it is something to challenge the secular world with. Because if we don't have a basis for that, we really don't have a basis for canceling anyone in the first place. The second thing, and again, this is not a rationalization for what he said. It's more a general pontification on the idea of human imperfection and platform. We all have jobs. We all have platforms. We all have things we do. And yet simultaneously, we are also all imperfect. And so again, I'm not saying I got an answer to this question, I'm simply asking the question, how perfect does one have to be to still retain some sort of platform or job or position? Because if perfection is the standard, well, then I don't qualify. And I'd imagine you don't either. Now, obviously, again, what he said is terrible and he should have his cartoons pulled from newspapers. I just think this adds another layer of confusion onto our culture because not only do we have no sense of standards, but we also sort of create arbitrary cutoff lines to say, Well, you can be this amount of imperfect in these kinds of categories and you're fine, but if you're that amount of imperfect in those categories, you're not. Man, this is like playing a game blindfolded with no rules. Sure, it would be fun to watch, but who would know who would win? That was a flawed analogy, but that's all I got. 
Dilbert's a racist. Maybe not the cartoon, but the guy creating it. And uh, yeah, that's it. Let's move on. All right, well, that's it. Thanks for listening to Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction. If you agree, disagree, have additional thoughts, want to point out something I did or said wrong, put it in the comment. Let this be a conversation. Share this, subscribe, etc. Do all the things. Click the link in the description or the link in the bio or just click on some sort of link. Find all of our content, articles, interviews, full conversations, instant reactions, the works. That's it. I'll talk to you next time. Peace. Thank you.